You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and on the programme this evening we have lots going on including a delicious but healthy pancake recipe with Karen Coakley aka Ken Mare Foodie. That's just in time for Pancake Tuesday in February. I think it's February the 17th. Siobhan Noonan will be reviewing her latest cookbook, Entertaining with Andrew Rudd. The marketing crowd's Evan Mangan reveals all about the world of blogging, which is a very popular arena with food enthusiasts. And Jacinta Dalton will be telling us more about what will be happening at the Foodie Forum on the 3rd of February in Galway. Before I introduce my first guest, let me tell you how to get in touch. You can email me s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org, which is short for Queen of Organisation. Now, last year I had the pleasure of interviewing Andrew Rudd on the programme about his first cookbook, which is simply called Entertaining with Andrew Rudd. He very kindly sent me a copy and I was delighted to pass it on to my sister-in-law, Siobhan Noonan, to see what she thought of it because she is the chef extraordinaire in the Noonan household. Siobhan joins me in the studio now to share her feedback. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Siobhan, thanks a million for coming in this evening. You're very welcome. And we're going to talk about Andrew Rudd's book. Um, you gave me a copy of this to look at a couple of weeks ago and I was delighted because I um, it was one of the ones on my list. Um, I suppose the first thing to mention is I suppose a little bit about An- Andrew Rudd himself because he's a very interesting background. He runs um, a company in Dublin called Medley and it's a private dining room and a catering service and he, I think he does some lessons as well. But he's one of nine children and um, Derek Davis is a family friend and he described his parents as hard workers who bred pigs and children but not necessarily in that order and Derek writes a really charming introduction um, to the book and praises Andrew for his ability to cook and all of them actually just for their hard work and um, their their cooking ability so that was lovely Um, Andrew himself wrote a really nice foreword um, about his background and all of his brothers and sisters and I think he's number four but he said because his mother had nine children she developed this really clever system to make each one feel special so she had a pet calendar and every week one child was the pet and that pet got to go shopping lick the bowl because apparently she was a fabulous baker and is a fabulous baker and not have to do the wash up so once every ten weeks you got to be the pet which I just thought was such a cute idea so that's I suppose a little bit of the background and his family then um, in 1985 set up Rudd's bacon products and they sell sausages and bacon and um and are those products you would have come across yourself? I'd often they're they're in they're in our local Super Value, and I'm, I know I have bought them, and um, they're lovely. They're you know they're they're. I like all sausage products <laughs> and bacon products. <laughs> Anything at all that comes from a pig, I'm very happy to eat. Um, but no, they're a lovely brand. And they're they're one of these ones that when you actually cook the rashers, there's very little water content. So they're they're very, they're nice high-end products. Good quality. Yeah. Okay. So um, I suppose t- t- the, the look of the book is, um, it, it's not a huge, big Bible of a book, which is lovely. It feels very comfortable in your hands. The paper is also of, of very nice quality. And um, it's it's very nicely laid out. 
it starts off, um, he does a selection of dishes that have dinner for two. The next section then is friends for supper. He does lovely things in an elegant dinner party. There is a big feast, the medley fusion, the brunch and long lazy lunch, and then finally dinner party on a budget. And in that, he kind of covers everything from some of the traditional favourites to lovely um, fusion recipes. And I think that's kind of his favourite section of the book himself. But you know, Thai, Chinese, Mexican, Greek cuisine. He kind of covers them all, but in a very nice, simple way. And at the end of each chapter then, um, he gives kind of a sample, three or four sample recipes and a wine recommendation. And what I liked about the wine recommendation was it, it, it kind of just steered you towards, say, a Sauvignon Blanc or a Cabernet Merlot. It wasn't, they weren't actually telling you brands to buy but, you know, that this would be the grape variety that would be good. So you weren't going to be stuck then with a very expensive wine? No, no. And it's not... Even his... his um, the ingredients that he uses are very much store-covered ingredients. And once you'd have a nice section, selection of spices, all you'd really have to do is go to your butcher and decide, well, you know, am I in the humour for chicken or am I in the humour for, for beef or lamb or do I want to have vegetarian? Because he has some very nice vegetarian things in there as well. Um, each section has a little short forward. It's very beautifully photographed and you have a photograph to go with each one, which I like. It gives me something to aim towards. <laughs> I may never get there, but... But it looks, you know, and it, it's very enticing when you kind of know what your end product is supposed to look like. Um, he gives the prep time for each recipe, the cooking time, and of course, how many it serves. And then at the end of each recipe, he has some chef tips for spicing things up or for alternatives and, um, or, and just even... For a lot of his duck and beef recipes, he gives timing for rare, um, if you want to have it rare, if you want to have it medium, if you want to have it well done. And just lots of nice little touches that if you just want to, um, I suppose, advance your cooking or just make it a little bit different to the original recipe, he gives all those nice ideas. Out of all the sections that are there in the contents part of the book, was there any one section that appealed to you the most? Um, I must. I thought the big feast sounded delicious because it is. I'll read out a few of the bits that are in it, um, and it, it's kind of like it's for a, a buffet or for you know if you're having a family lunch, but you wanted it very casual and just people to to dip in and out. There was a beef tomato salad with mustard dressing, refried beans or a black bean soup, and pork souffle with tzatziki, um, a spiced coleslaw, which I thought sounded delicious. Um, he has lots of his friends actually give him, well, not lots, five or six of the friends give him um, nice recipes as well, gave him nice recipes for this. So there's Andrew Myler's spicy chicken bake, barbecue spare ribs, celeriac remoulade, which I can never pass out, um, and then beef bourguignon, bourguignon. And then for desserts, there's mascarpone and ricotta cheesecake, mini meringue bites, crushed orange and amped cake and then it gives you a suggested menu now if I if you only just picked three of those or four of those wouldn't you have a really nice absolutely yeah. Sunday lunch that would be a little bit different and everybody could just pick away but a lot of his recipes are are like that you know that you could just dip in and dip out and pick different 
pick what suits you and your family for that. And that's exactly what you did. I did. I did. I had my family up for Sunday lunch and um, I made a really lovely um, mushroom soup, which everybody went, everybody really did like. And um, it was very, very creamy and Moorish. And I think everybody thought there was a load of cream in it when there was very little, actually, when you divide it out. Like, I think there was maybe 200 mils of cream, but between eight portions of soup, which is really just a dollop for each one. Um, that was very delicious. And then I decided to follow that up and do a nice fillet of beef, which I hadn't cooked before. And I was very, I suppose, wary of. And I had been given a present of a meat thermometer. So it was kind of a good opportunity to try out a recipe and the meat thermometer. And I have quite a new oven to try that out as well. And it worked out very well. I think the timings took longer than I expected, but um, I think because everybody had enjoyed their soup, there were no big rush for their main course. So, um, And when you say the timings, tell us about that now. Was that according to Andrew's timings or was it because of your oven temperatures? I think it was a mixture of both. And I had also picked a slightly larger, in, in his recipe, he recommended a one kilogram beef fillet, but I have... Um, a few hounds in the family so I think I went to maybe 1.5 and so I was rejigging his temperatures with my larger piece of beef and the meat thermometer um, which he did recommend in his in his chef's tips and I think it was just because it was the first time cooking anything and I think their first time cooking is always just a bit um my first time cooking things can always just be a bit off. I'm a bit more careful. I'm not as inclined to whack up the oven maybe to the full recommended temperatures because as I say, I haven't gotten a a total grip on my new oven yet. But I would definitely recommend it again. And because it was family, it wasn't like a stressful dinner party situation. They weren't in any rush. I wasn't in any rush. Um, I served it with... Dauphinoise potatoes, which um, he also recommended that you cook the night before. And I followed his recipe um, very carefully on this. Um, cooked them the night before, refrigerated them. When the, when I was ready the next day, I took them out of the fridge, cut them into sections, just covered the whole lot in tinfoil and put it back into the oven to reheat for 30 minutes and covered them with cheese for the last 10 minutes. That worked really well. And because my my potatoes were ready, my veg were, were, were ready to go, it really didn't make any difference that the beef was that I was waiting on the beef. Whereas if, I, if I'd had a lot of, you know, if the potatoes had been in the oven, you know, cooking along with the beef, I would have been stressed out because they would have been burnt. Well, would there have been a resting period for that piece of beef? There was. Um, and I think, um, I think I ended up cooking it for maybe 50, 50, 55 minutes and I rested it, I'd say, for at least 15. Okay. And it was delicious and we did eat all of it. <laughs> because then I, I find if you're resting beef, well, sometimes that's the time to put the veg on depending on what sort of veg you're, you're having. You're right. You are right. And I also... Um, I do actually go to the trouble of making out my cooking times beforehand and saying, right, I want the beef to be out of the oven or whatever by course to, to two. So I need to have it in at such and such time and allow it to rest. And I find that that does, even just having it written down and having, and it's usually on the back of an envelope, um, 
just it kind of it focuses me and I know when things are are supposed to go in and definitely everything is ready together nearly all the time so that was the potatoes and the beef was there anything else Um, I did I've done um, I've done the garlic and chilli prawns dish which was really just a very simple um, garlic and chilli prawns and an olive oil that was delicious and I did uh, his mushrooms on toast he said it's one of his favourite snacks and that his mother came up with the recipe and that was just delicious it was nearly like um, a volavong mixture but not as rich and as heavy with uh, mushrooms and some onion and garlic and thyme and milk and um, flour and a little bit of cream served on ciabatta bread I didn't have ciabatta I think I had it on a slice of wholemeal toast it was just luscious and a really lovely supper even if you were to serve serve it with um, a nice side salad it would be you could definitely make a dinner out of it but he has some lovely things that I'm interested in in trying Um, he's a lovely recipe for thigh fish cakes and um a coconut rice pudding and he recommends if you wanted to have like a he has a lovely Thai chicken curry or Thai vegetarian curry that would fit in with that menu as well um, there's scrambled eggs with prawns and black pudding which I can't get my head around but I you know I kind of having read the book all of his other flavour combinations are are very good so I just think it would be worth trying and I'll either like it or not and he has another very interesting cake it's a grapefruit and and targan chocolate cake which it takes something like three and a half hours to bake so it would have to be a very or not to bake to prepare and and get ready so that would have to be a very special occasion for me to to tackle that but I do think it sounds um, very interesting and you'd want to know your oven inside out for that after spending three and a half hours prepping it yeah you would really because and cakes can be such you know they can be so finicky they can drop and and go flat at the the drop of a hat so um, but I'll read that recipe a few more times and just see you know how it'll work out and then um, my mother and my sister both love oxtails which I just can't bear but I know they're in our our local supermarket and he has a recipe for a braised oxtail stew that I will happily cook and just say enjoy and, <laughs> and, and go in. Do you find it difficult to cook things that you don't like yourself because you're not tasting or I um, find it very hard if I make something that I don't like and I give yeah. it to somebody I don't know is it nice or is it just saying it's nice? I suppose a stew is different a stew is different because it's all about the the sauce or the gravy um and whereas where I won't like the oxtail I will like the beefiness of the sauce and the the braising liquid that goes with it and I might and I will pick out like a sliver of the the less gelatinous bits that um I'll I'll have to taste but um no I'll happily just have the the sauce and the vegetables going with it with mashed potatoes and let them them eat it which hopefully they will enjoy but you know it it just looked it was such a nice kind of a retro recipe to have and because I had been looking at these oxtails wondering god I wonder where I would find a nice recipe for that so I was delighted to see that in the book and he has lots of quick and nice easy supper dishes and um say just even the whole layout of it is very attractive and you know beautifully photographed and lots of um, photographs of himself and his family scattered throughout the book and yeah really just lovely lovely book altogether it's a welcome addition to your yeah, collection welcome addition to the library and there's um yeah i, I did a, oh i met his mum's um 
brown bread as well, which is a, a treacle brown bread. That was very delicious. And again, one that I would make, and I just fried it down, and I think I was, I was making the mushroom soup for a second time. And my mother actually liked the mushroom soup so much, I made it for her for Christmas Day, which is, you know... Instead, very, of, the, instead it, of the asparagus soup, Siobhan? She made me the asparagus okay. soup. Okay. <laughs> That's my favourite. So I had asparagus soup and they had mushroom. Everybody else had mushroom. But, you know, that's what I mean. Like, it's nice to come across something that um, when somebody enjoys it so much, they say, look, you know, I'd be delighted if you made that for me. So it was nice, a nice compliment to Andrew and to myself for the execution. And of course, soup is a very handy one for transporting and heating oh, yeah. up. I love it. It's a really um, staple weekday lunch for me. All the time. Oh. So, marks out of ten. Um. Oh my goodness, I would. I would definitely give it nine out of ten. My, you know. Um. But now, I, mean, I you know, I, I just thought it was so nicely laid out and so nicely photographed, and that there was such a lot of things in it that I would cook. Yeah, I would give it nine out of ten. Was, well, I think Andrew would be very happy with that. And any time that he would like me to go to Medley or, you know, to, if, he, if he fancies making the scrambled eggs with the prawns and black pudding for me, I'd be quite delighted to top in if I was in Dublin to try it out. Oh. I may need further convincing. <laughs> okay, well, on that note, we might leave it there, Siobhan. Thanks so much for coming in. It's um, just call out the name of it there. It's called Entertaining with Andrew Rudd Mouthwatering Recipes and Inspiring Party Ideas. And, you know, to be fair, it does exactly what it says in the cover. Well, thanks so much for coming in tonight and sharing your feedback on it. You're very welcome, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks to Siobhan for coming into the studio and telling us what she thought about Andrew's book. And if you have a favourite cookbook that you think Siobhan should check out, be sure to email the details to me, s.noonan at live.ie, and I'll get her onto it. Still to come tonight, the marketing crowd's Evan Mangan reveals all about the world of blogging, which is a very popular arena with food enthusiasts. And Jacinta Dalton will be telling us more about what will be happening at the Foodie Forum on the 3rd of February in Galway. Next, though, it's time to put a call into Kenmare Foodie, Karen Coakley in the Kingdom of Kerry. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, thanks for joining me this evening. Hi, Sharon. How are you? You have a beautiful recipe for us for tomorrow morning. I do, Sharon. Um, it's still January, so I think we're all on our healthy eating. And I know that here we have, we're on week um, three of it now. And we've seen changes in our waistline and it really is worth it. But what we've done is we're not really, you know, we love pancakes at weekends. It's like a treat or our brunch is a big thing at weekends. So when I started on this, I thought, okay, we really need to be careful and watch what we eat. But, you know, you do deserve a treat. So I suppose it's really a case of rather than slacking off on things, it's changing how you eat and what you eat. So for us, I um, love pancakes, like we said. So the other morning I was at home, Sunday morning, and I thought, OK, I am going to have pancakes. How am I going to do this? And for me, the kids don't eat porridge. I love porridge, but my kids don't. So... I do like to try and get oats into them somewhere. So I had heard of like an oaty pancake recipe that somebody had made a few years ago and I just kind of took out my recipe, put on my thinking cap and came up with a recipe for oaty pancakes with blueberries and cinnamon. So 
basically what I did was instead of using 200 grams of flour, I used 100 grams of white flour, 70 grams of brown flour, wholemeal brown flour, stone ground, and then 30 grams of porridge oats. The recipe I normally use has 70 grams of sugar. I cut that back to 40 grams of sugar, and then by adding in a teaspoon of cinnamon, it sweetened it so you didn't need the extra sugar. You know, I've almost cut the sugar by half. The blueberries then, of course, give it the, the extra kind of texture to it, and they also add in the vitamins because blueberries are very good for you. Um, I use skimmed milk instead of, or low-fat milk instead of full-fat milk. And the recipe that I normally use for pancakes uses 50 grams of butter. So what I did was I substituted the butter with one tablespoon of uh, sunflower oil, 100% sunflower oil, so there's nothing, you know, it's all natural. So basically what I did was you just put all the dry ingredients together in a bowl. I didn't even sieve them. Normally I do, but I just threw them in and it worked as well. There's baking soda or baking powder in there as well. You put... um, the milk into a bowl, whisk in your eggs, put in your cinnamon and your oil, then put the wet ingredients into the dry ingredients, whisk it all up, heat your pan, have that like medium to medium hot, and put in dollops or tablespoonfuls of the batter mix into your pan. And with pancakes, they're like the American-style pancakes, thicker ones, what you see is you have bubbles coming through from the underside to the upside. That then is when your pancake's ready to flip it over. So flip it over until it's like golden on the on no on the underneath and cooked through. And I served it with bananas and a little drizzle of honey. At what point did you put the blueberries into it? I put the blueberries the first day I made it, I put the blueberries into the batter at the beginning. But one kid likes blueberries in, the other kid doesn't like blueberries in. So the second day I made it, what I did was when I had put the tablespoons in, the guy that wanted blueberries, I just literally just dotted the blueberries into the you know, the batter when it was in the pan. And it works perfect. Just flip it over and then slice banana. And it's for me, it's, it's not just a weekend breakfast. This is something because of the oats. And I want to play around with the recipe a little bit more and see if I can cut back again on the white flour. It's something that they can have going to school because, number one, it's homemade. And anything homemade is better than anything processed or shop-bought. That's my thinking. And as well, you know, they're getting the goodness of the oats, which will keep them full, fill them with fibre. The same with the brown flour. The cinnamon will regulate their blood sugars, as I said before, so they're not going to get that sugar rush that they get from cereals and then that dip, you know, at half ten or eleven o'clock in the morning where kids get hungry in school. So they'll, they'll be kept going longer and um, healthier and happier for it, hopefully. And could you make these in a batch and then maybe even put them into the toaster? No. Why not? Because you can't put batter into the toaster. No, no, I mean oh, if you cooked, if they were cooked like... Well, if they were cooked beforehand, yes. I would heat them in the microwave. Okay. Um, I'm a great believer. I use them on microwave an awful lot. I would heat them in the microwave or even, I don't know, I haven't tried toasting them. That actually is a good question. Yeah, I know you can't put batter into the, the toaster. <laughs> I thought you would like to think of a completely different kind of thing altogether. <laughs> no. no, no, I know now if you had the blueberries in it, going into the toaster it might not be ideal, but just to give them that kind of crisp exterior that you wouldn't get yeah, in the microwave yeah even a pan and a dry pan probably would work again okay to reheat them and speaking of toasters we had a toaster that went on fire in us last summer so that's one to be careful of because okay. the twins had gotten into the habit of getting up in the morning and making toast sometimes um you know if they were up early and we were having an eye in and then fortunately the morning it went on fire was the morning that i was putting the toast in but it was a bit of a it had to go outside the door and burn itself out it okay pretty bad absolutely yeah mm-hmm. now you were talking about flour there and trying to find a different flour I saw a recipe at the weekend for flapjacks 
and they used quinoa flour in it. Yeah, I've seen quinoa flour. That's one now as well that I want to try to start working around and experimenting with because I love quinoa. But I have a feeling now that that flour could be quite expensive. Well, quinoa, I know for a fact because it's something that, like before, it was, you know, there was a hype about it. I've been eating quinoa for years, for a few years, because for running, it is very good affinity with energy. So for me, when I'm training, I'll eat quinoa because it just, it'll, you know, I think it's very good as well for your muscles, for protein and all of that. But um, it's gone very expensive. I think I priced it one time here in my health shop and it was something like 17 euro a kilo. It's like everything else supply and demand when things become popular. Well, I interviewed Rosemary Bennett from Sonus Health Food Shop here in Newcastle West, I'd say a few months before Christmas, and she was talking about quinoa and said it has doubled in price yeah. in the past year. It's only found in Bolivia. Yeah. That's where it all comes from. And as you say, supply and demand. demand. And the demand now is so high for it. And I think it's it's pretty scarce, really. Yeah, and the last time that I cooked quinoa there last week, I used a red quinoa. And that recipe, I think, is going to be going up in the was up in the blog at the moment. You know, the quinoa and pomegranate salad. You can use white or red, and I use the red now. I did actually happen to pick it up somewhere two for the price of one. So I don't know how I got that lucky, but quinoa. I love quinoa. Okay, well, that's a great recipe to to get into the tummy, be you big or small, first thing in the morning. So. We'll keep an eye out for that on your blog, which is... KinmareFoodies.com Okay, great. Karen, thanks for talking to you and we'll talk to you again soon. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us, Siobhan Noonan was here reviewing the cookery book, Entertaining with Andrew Rudd. And just before the break, Ken Merfoody, Karen Coakley, shared a wonderful pancake recipe with us. And you can find details of that on Karen's blog, which is kenmerfoodies.com. Never fear if you've missed some of the show as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week along with all the previous shows and you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. Still to come tonight, details of events coming up for you to put in your diary and Jacinta Dalton will be telling us more about what will be happening at the Foodie Forum on the 3rd of February in Galway. But next, it's time to go over to the phone line to chat to my next guest and our conversation is going to focus on blogging. One of my plans for 2015 is to write more on my blog, which you can find online at sharonnoonan.wordpress.com. Blogging is very popular in the culinary world, but in order to find out more about this online way of sharing information, pictures, promoting your business and lots more. There's only one man to ask and that's Evan Mangan of The Marketing Crowd and he joins me on the line now. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Evan, thanks for joining me this evening to talk about blogging. No problem. I'd say a lot of people may have it as their New Year resolution to actually start writing a blog. Yeah, very possibly. Um, It's something that most people have heard about. Actually, lots of people ask me, what is a blog? Uh, They're just not even sure. They've heard that it's something on a website. A blog actually can take many forms. Mainly, it's either part of your website or it's an entire website. And what you do is you share content with your website visitors. So if you were a chef, you might be blogging and sharing lots of recipes and um, 
food preparation tips and even things about that are happening in your in you know in your life if you're a restaurant you might be blogging again about recipes and uh, food it really depends it could be an article it could be a video it could be a, a how-to guide anything like that and that's a blog and how does somebody go about setting one up if they don't have a website, for example, if it's maybe just a mother at home that likes cooking for her children and wants to share that with the world. OK, well, there's two real ways of doing it. Uh, there is going to uh, websites that allow you to easily create a blog. Imagine going to Twitter and creating an account or Facebook and creating an account. Well, you could go to WordPress.com or you could go to Blogger.com and you could very easily set up a blog. And it's very much click and drag and drop, and you can be up and running in no time. If you already have a website and you would like to start blogging, it isn't very advisable to do that because it's outside of your website. And um, if people land on your website and then they click on a link for blog, you're sending them out of your website. If your blog is very successful and you attract lots of links back to your blog, you're not going to get any search engine optimization benefit, SEO benefit, i.e. it won't drive you up higher in the Google rankings. So go to those sites if you want to create a simple one. If you wanted to add a blog to your site, really uh, WordPress is the way to go. And uh, a web developer could add a WordPress blog to your site. Or you could you could even pick up a very affordable WordPress theme, which is a website and has a blog built in. You could pick up a WordPress theme for around $50. And uh, a very good site to go to to get one of those would be themeforest.net. Because if you start off with something like WordPress or blogger.com, that can actually be free. There's no money involved in it. There's no money involved. You don't have to pay anything. And for somebody dabbling in creating a blog, uh, that is something that you might want to try. But if you have a website and you were trying, let's let's think about the uh, the main reasons why somebody would have a blog. There's really three reasons. Firstly, when somebody lands on your website, uh, instead of you just selling at them and saying, you know, uh, you're looking for the product or service we're offering, we're very good at offering it. If they read your blog, then they start understanding that you are an expert in food or that you do have amazing recipes. So you're not just selling at people, you're helping people, they get a feel for your expertise. So differentiation, that's the first reason. The second reason is that uh, it becomes fuel for your social media marketing so that when you're on Facebook or Twitter, really it's about sharing interesting content. And it's a lot better to be sharing links to content back to your website than to a blog away from your website. And the third reason why people have a blog is for search engine optimization because um, people create blog posts on topics that your audience is searching for. So let's say if you were selling uh, black pudding, not everybody is searching for black pudding. And let's say you're selling it online, but actually thousands of people are searching for recipes to do with black pudding and scallops. So you would create a blog post, a recipe on how to create uh, black pudding and, and scallops. So that's a reason why you'd have a blog and you want to pull them in to your website. So now they're in an environment where maybe they can buy your black pudding. 
So having the blog outside of your website isn't really a good strategy unless you just want to dabble in blogging. And if you are dabbling in it, how technologically minded do you need to be to actually, once you have it set up? Um, not very technologically minded. You just need to uh, follow some some good practice in terms of blogging. And that is, um, firstly, write blog posts on topics that your audience will be interested in. And uh, there's different ways of finding that out. Uh, do a search on Google uh, google.com forward slash blog search and do a search for things like tips, recipes, whatever to do with your sector and you'll find loads of blog posts. There is a site called buzzsumo.com and you could do a search there and you'll see uh, the most popular blog posts to do with that topic. So blogging about topics that people are interested in. Then having a very interesting headline you've got to really think like a like a newspaper editor here um five ways to do something 10 mistakes people make you know those kind of blog blog headlines so something that's intriguing and then when you write your blog post don't write like a a a long mass of text think about it in terms of breaking it up into small little paragraphs images peppered throughout the blog post Um, Make sure that you have social sharing, like tweet this, share on Facebook. They would be some of the main main things that you want to do. And then to promote that you actually have a blog, you'd be using your social media platforms such as Facebook and Twitter. You would, would exactly. As I said earlier, uh, your, your blog content becomes the fuel for your social media marketing. So on your Facebook, you would share links to your recent blog posts. On Twitter, you do the same. Depending on your market, you might also do it on LinkedIn. In terms of time then, what sort of time commitment do people need to invest to make it a success? Um, Really, if you're blogging, it should be once a week. And uh, there's lots of stats that show the more frequently that people blog, the more views and audience that they get for the blog. So... If you're going to blog seriously, it really is at least once a week and maybe even think about doing it twice a week. And for a lot of people, that's a huge investment in terms of time. So my advice would be, unless you feel you have the time and the content and the ability, you know, don't jump into it. But if you have those things, it can be very rewarding. That said, lots of people have... um, recipes and useful tips and advice and they want to maybe share some videos you could use a blog technology on your website but just don't call it a blog you could call it free tips or you could call it free advice and you could do that maybe less regularly than once a week but you still get all the other benefits i was talking about when people come to your site it differentiates you it's the fuel for your social media and it helps you in search engines But technically, you're not blogging because you're just not doing it regularly, once a week, twice a week. And for the food industry, there is so much information there on the internet, as you say, recipes and whatnot. So could a blog be, oh, look, I made this recipe by Doreen Allen today and it worked out really fantastic. Here's my picture of it and here's a link to the recipe from wherever they got it. Um, it could, it could. It really depends on whether you feel you're adding value. And you should ask yourself if 
if I went to a site and I read this, would it make me feel more positive towards that company? Would I find that it was really useful? Or would I feel that it was just regurgitating loads of stuff that I've read already? And if you feel that, oh, actually, it's just regurgitating, you're, you're almost better off not doing it. It's, it's, not about, it's not about ticking a box that says I'm producing blog articles. It's about producing content that people will feel, wow, that was excellent. Uh, this is a company that I feel really positive towards. And that's if you're in business and you're doing it to enhance your business. But if you're an individual and it's nearly like a hobby for you. Oh, yes, then absolutely. Uh, The example you gave is a very good one and there's no problem with that at all. Okay, well, all great advice. And I know you've lots of tips and videos and uh, lots of your expertise is shared on your website, which is themarketingcrowd.ie. So listeners can pop on there and get lots of that free advice from you, Evan. Great. And also follow us on Facebook where uh, there's lots more tips as well. Thanks so much for talking to me this evening. Thank you, Sharon. Bye. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Evan Mangan about blogging. If you'd like a peek at mine you can find it online www.sharonnoonan.wordpress.com And earlier in the show tonight we heard a great pancake recipe from Ken Mayer foodie Karen Coakley and Siobhan Noonan was in the studio telling us what she thought about the cookbook Entertaining with Andrew Rudd. It's almost time to look at some events coming up this weekend but before that I want to find out more about a specific event namely the Foodie Forum which is taking place today week which is Tuesday the 3rd of February. I spoke to Jacinta Dalton earlier tonight and this is what she told me. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Jacinta thanks for joining me on the phone tonight. It's my pleasure. I'm delighted to be in that. Thank you very much, Sharon. Tell the listeners what the Foodie Forum is. Okay, well, I suppose the Foodie Forum started uh, with an idea with uh, two of my colleagues, Cormac Candy and Colin Gilligan, uh, in 2011. And we were all three lecturers at the College of Tourism and Arts in GMIT, and we wanted to do something different for students, number one. But we also wanted to do something that brought industry into education as well, so that we had, I suppose, cross-purposes. Because oftentimes people will say that education is removed from industry, particularly in our sector. And we wanted to uh, dispel that idea, number one. And then also we wanted to create a platform that would allow networking between all the various stakeholders. So that's kind of where the idea actually came about. So it started off in, in 2011 with a one-day interactive event and it became sort of a we did it again in 2012 we took a break last year and we're back again in 2015 on February the 3rd with uh, bigger and better so we're really looking forward to February 3rd it's going to be a wonderful day again you're a lecturer at GMIT in the College of Tourism and Arts Department. That's correct. So in that capacity, you probably have a lot of, you obviously have contact with students, but you have contact with industry as well. Is that what kind of spurred you on then that you were mentioning there about networking between the two groups? Absolutely. I, again, I suppose we wanted to uh, bring as many facets into, into uh, we, uh, we, we created a, such a food campus and every element of GMIT was actually involved in the event in terms of um, 
all students were open to come into it. It was a public event as well. So people from all around the country came along. We had representatives from Dublin, Cork, Donegal, like literally the four corners of, of the island came along. It's not just a student event. I suppose I wanted to get, uh, that's kind of the key point. Um, people initially thought it was just something that was closed for students in GMIT, but it's widely open to, the, to everybody to come along. And one of the things that a lot of restaurateurs and chefs particularly found of benefit was the fact that uh, they were able to strike up um, relationships and business interests with other artists and producers who may have been there on the day. And they wouldn't often get that opportunity because of the nature of the businesses that they're all in. Um, So literally having all those stakeholders under one roof provided that uh, networking facility. So specific to the event then, what types of activities take place on the the 3rd of February? Okay, well, we have our artisan market, which everybody loves. Uh, uh, That is particularly sponsored by Galway County Council and the Made in Galway brand. And we also have artists and producers from other parts of Ireland, particularly focusing this year on the Wild Atlantic Way producers. So we have representation from Donegal to Cork as well coming along. Um, we have a street food element which uh, encompasses uh, some of the fine uh, street food trucks that we have on the Goey market. And then we have a number of chef demonstrations. I suppose uh, the key names there that people would be interested in would be uh, in your local area. In fact, we have Wade Murphy coming from uh, 1826 Adair. Uh, we have Kevin Thornton from Thornton's Restaurant. And he's do- actually doing... Um, a demonstration on seaweed with uh, Sally McKenna so we're quite excited about that one and then locally uh, from Galway we have Enda McAvoy from the all new um, exciting loom and we have JP McMahon and Alton Cook from Anir we have Jess Murphy from Kai and uh, they're kind of the key the key names there and uh, so again something for everybody in the culinary side then we have our masterclass areas in craft beer craft brewing and um, distillery. So we have the Dingle um, Distillery coming along there as well, uh, talking about spirits. We have wine masterclasses, a little bit of wine and food matching, beer and food matching. And uh, so again, food, drink, (laughs) a little bit of everything really, uh, Sharon, to be perfectly honest. And when you turn up for the day, do you have to pre-book to go to different seminars that are on? Now, there's two sides to this year. We've actually, our colleagues uh, um, that used to run Gastronomy West have joined with us. And Gastronomy West is a symposium which brings in a number of key uh, key speakers on all areas of food tourism, ecotourism and adventure tourism. So we have a number of key speakers coming in uh, in that facet. The only booking that's required for the day is the general admission ticket, which is available through Eventbrite and through, through our website also, which is... Um, thefoodieform.net that's www.thefoodieform.net um, that pre-booking is available right up until the day before unless the event sells out um, we usually find that there's a rush before Christmas for tickets and then in January then again and how much is the ticket? a full day ticket with access all areas is 15 euro so and it's very expensive. reasonable yeah it is well I suppose it's a not-for-profit event um, Sharon it's not about making profit it's about covering the costs of the event. And to be fair, most of the people that attend on the day uh, give up their time free of charge as well. So we're absolutely grateful for that. Um, so any money raised on the day uh, literally covers the cost of running the event and there is um, no profit involved. So we're happy to keep the tickets at an affordable price for that reason. 
Is most of it indoor except for the street food It's vendors? all indoor, absolutely every bit of it bar the street food and okay. even the street food area is fairly well sheltered as well. We we did at our, at our last event, we had uh, snow and hail and all sorts being thrown at us but um, once people are indoors uh, it's a very comfortable environment and lots of space and seating and this, so it's a comfortable environment. What sort of numbers are you hoping to get this year? Well, apart from the uh, several thousand that are on campus already, uh, we normally have in the region of an additional 1,000 to 1,200 people coming on site as well. So it's quite a significant size of an event. Um, And again, it's broken down right across all target markets. So you have producers, again, restaurants, um, chefs. A lot of chefs actually come with a huge interest from chefs in this particular event. If people want to get more information then, your website, you've mentioned it there before, just remind the listeners. Okay, the website is is www.thefoodieform.net. I think it's great now to see something like this taking place outside of Dublin. Uh, well, it, we're, we're happy. It was kind of the first event uh, that happened sort of significantly in the West Coast for a long number of years. And when we did it in 2011, there was huge um, feedback from people. People were delighted to, to do it, and but but significantly to do it in an educational environment as well. And you know, we talk an awful lot about the importance of food education, and I think that's kind of the core ethos behind what we're trying to do with the event. Um, and that is why we do it in an affordable way for people to come along, as opposed to charging exorbitant fees and not having it accessible to all areas. And the Wild Atlantic Way, you've mentioned that, which is a hugely popular tourism attraction, for want of a better description. And you're actually a food ambassador with Fulch Ireland. That's correct. I'm one of the eight food ambassadors along the Wild Atlantic Way. So again, any promotion of the Wild Atlantic Way is very close to my own heart. And I mean, we're very lucky where we're situated in Galway. We're the only city along the, the Wild Atlantic Way. Um, but uh, as well, you know, as well as having a focus on that, we also want to try and bring the Galway County and our, and our neighbouring towns along into that as well, as opposed to just exclusivity along the Wild Atlantic Way for this event. Well, it's a very Galway is a very accessible city, a lovely city to get to. So I'm looking forward to it, and I wish you all the best with it. Well, we look forward to welcome you and everybody from all of your listeners from around the region as well. We look forward to seeing as many people as possible on the day. Jacinta, thanks for talking to me Sharon, this evening. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinter. Thanks again to Jacinta. And if you're planning to go to the Foodie Forum, be sure to say hello as I will be there. And I think I'll be emceeing at a cookery demonstration with West Limerick's very own Wade Murphy from 1826 Adair. But there's lots of other events taking place throughout the country before next Tuesday and a reminder that a good place to check out what is happening is the website discoverireland.ie forward slash food. And as you know, Helen McDade from Fulcher Ireland will be returning in the spring to keep us up to date with some of those events that are posted there. But closer to home in Kerry, the Just Cooking Cookery School continues its series of on-hands demos. Tomorrow night, Wednesday the 28th of January, there's a healthy eating low GI demo or if Italian is more your thing that's an offer on Thursday lots more interesting courses there so just check out justcooking.ie for all the details also on tomorrow night, if you're in the City West area, Ballymaloo trainee Nikki Walsh, a.k.a. Lady Eve, she's hosting a fast, easy and very tasty demo. Visit milagallery.ie to find out more and to book your place. 
Hook and Ladder in Limerick City are going Mexican tomorrow night. So if you fancy learning how to make traditional dishes such as quesadilla, salsa, guacamole and lots more, go to the website hookandladder.ie and all the information is there on how to book. In Waterford, the Tannery Cookery School's Paul Flynn has a King of the Kitchen course. It's a practical all-day course for men only, which promises participants will leave with skills to impress. That's on Saturday, which is the 31st of January, from 10 o'clock until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And you can log on to tannery.ie for info. In Kilkenny, Rinocini Restaurant is celebrating 25 years of business with a special tasting menu that's next Tuesday, the 3rd of February, Day week. On the night, the menu will include a Kilmore Key seafood starter, ravioli with gorgonzola, escalops of beef filled with fontina, and a dessert plate. It costs 60 euros with wine pairing for each course, and the bookings can be made by phone on 056 So that's Rinichunis in Kilkenny, and congratulations to you celebrating 25 years of business. And finally, in the north, Belfast Cookery School offers an array of classes from seafood to canapes and cocktails to Moroccan and lots, lots more. Many of these seem to book up fairly quickly, so you should check out belfastcookeryschool.com and plan well in advance. Please keep sending me details of your cookery demos, food courses, product launches and fundraisers to s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be only too delighted to give them a shout out here on the diary on Best Possible Taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Now, that brings us to the end of this evening's show. Thanks for listening and, of course, a big thank you to all of my guests, Siobhan Noonan, Karen Coakley, Evan Mangan and Jacinta Dalton. Tonight's show will be up on the podcast, soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show. There's hyphens between the food and drink show words in the next day or two, so keep an eye out for that. Until next week, when restaurant reviewer Rachel Keeley will be here to review the Jasmine Palace in time for the Chinese New Year. Have a great week, and before I forget, thanks for all the birthday wishes. I'll chat to you next week. Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.